Thank you for joining Breadcrumb Theory, a modern-day podcast navigating the digital age. We are your hosts, Melissa Schwass and Eric Shear. Welcome. Hey, Melissa. How are you today? I'm doing good. I think we're continuing our series of artificial intelligence through automation, and this week we are talking about the future of education, something I know you are very passionate about. Yeah, no, I'm super passionate about education, and uh, I find that uh, in this day and age, uh, it's one of those things that's ripe for disruption. So let's uh, let's chat about it, shall we? Yeah, uh, I think it's a great time to talk about this. Many students are getting ready to go back to school, and I know parents are on the fence of what do they do? How do they keep their family safe? How is online learning going to really take shape, and is it going to be impactful? And so I know that you have a lot of thoughts and comments on that. Where would you like to get started? Well, first, let's talk about kind of the traditional way we've learned. And everybody knows this, right? But just a super high level recap, you know, the university, um, you know, high school and elementary school kind of tiered education model has been around for forever, right? For, you know, over 100 years, if not longer than that. And uh, one of the things about that is that uh, it's not always the most practical way of bringing people through, right? So it's classist. It's, uh, it, it can be really hard to get into certain schools, and that may not be any fault of your own or your intelligence. So the traditional four-year education is fantastic in that, you know, if you're able to go to college, for instance, uh, you get to learn about a broad variety of topics. Um, you get it's kind of where you get your training uh, wheels for adulting, and uh, you know it's you know celebrated as a kind of rite of passage in a really good time. And uh, um, you know, I know when I was in college, uh, I spent less time learning and more uh, time playing hacky sack and uh, <laughs> drinking beer uh, than I did learning anything that I use today. But uh, a shift started happening where not, you know, not everybody was able to go to university. Not everybody is uh, cut out to go to a cookie cutter class, right? Because we're teaching to a curriculum and, you know, we can hotly debate what that looks like these days. So alternatives started coming up, right? And as we moved online, um, there's been platforms that are being developed. Uh, like Khan Academy, like Udemy, where you can start learning about a subject online yourself. And I think these have been incredibly valuable. Um, and, and certainly during these COVID times, there are online high schools, online curriculums for students. And we're seeing as school districts, you know, fight to figure out, uh, you know, whether or not they're going to have class in, in classroom or online, there are options, which are fantastic. We can get to more people um, we can have them learn at their own pace, right? Um, whether it's curriculum base or, you know, you know, what have you to learn. But more than anything, I want to talk about today is kind of what what the the pros and cons of the way we're trying to learn online today are, and kind of look at what it's going to look like in the future, or what it should look like, in my opinion, uh, in the future. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to just kind of talk about how we learn as human beings for just a second, and then we'll kind of get into some of the cool stuff that's coming down the road. Fair enough? I mean, you're saying we're human and not yet robots? Yes. 
Unfortunately uh, not. Um, we know how it, I love robots. I know. Well, we all want uh, robots that do backflips. In fact, my dog will be replaced by a robot, I'm sure, at some point. I'm getting uh, one of those 100%. I know. Uh, I feel sad about that, but uh, mm. also strangely interested as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, if you think about learning like a, in a, like a pyramid diagram, right? Uh, a lot of the ways that we are presented material and information is suboptimal for learning. So, you know, you go to a class and you get, uh, you hear the lecture by the professor you're only really going to remember about 5% of whatever he said. It's very disheartening. You get a little bit better if you're just reading, right? Reading, you can retain about 10% uh, of what you read. And this is over like a fixed period of time. So uh, you're reading and recall, uh, you know, from a lecture is only 5%. Reading audio visuals, so if you're reading and listening to it at the same time, uh, it gets better at 20% and then demonstration, right? So if somebody demonstrates something to you, maybe like a science experiment or a piece of software, you might retain 30%. And so if we look at the top portion of the pyramid, that's not really that great, right? It's like, how did any of us pass a test? Um, and that's why you had to cram and study and memorize and do all of those things because those are all very passive methods of delivering information. And that's how we do it in classrooms. We've been doing it forever. And really online for the last, you know, for its first iteration, you know, since it's been, we've had online learning is really no different, right? It's a lot of lecture, a lot of watching PowerPoint slide presentations, a lot of reading, a lot of audio visual. And that's great because now we can enjoy the boredom of sitting in class in our own home, but it doesn't really engage like the bottom half of the pyramid. So how do we, you know, what, what creates a more sticky learning experience? How do we acquire skills faster? Well, if we start looking at some of the other things that we can do, so things like discussion groups, for instance, um, and being a participant uh, in, in the learning process, we can retain about 50% of that. And if we practice by doing, so whether that's on-the-job training or, or doing a lab in class, or whatever, those, the, the act of actually doing and building and uh, the thing that it is that you're trying to learn, uh, your retention goes up to 75%. So now we're talking, right? Now we're kind of getting sticky. And the best way to learn something is to teach somebody else, right? So it is to share that knowledge and give it back to somebody else, right? Because that solidifies those things in yourself and you can retain 90%, up to 90%. So Discussion groups, practice by doing, teaching others, those are all active forms of learning, right? And we're just now seeing how uh, there is a shift in education to these active forms of learning. Eric, I have a question if you don't mind. No, no, please. So, you know, I think of discussion groups and I'm in the age bracket where I've had some hybrid online classes and I think of a discussion group I post on an online forum and I get credit for it. I'm not going to lie to you. I've pencil whipped some of those. So how do you create discussion groups that are engaging in your opinion? That's an excellent question, right? So for a discussion group to be, uh, you know, worth anything, it, it, ha it has to be interactive, right? People need to give and take information. So the more participation you have in a discussion group, uh, the better 
quality of discussion group is going to be. You know, if you're not sharing, if people aren't interacting with each other and it's that sharing of ideas and working through the, the problems and because everybody's going to have a different point of view, then it's an, um, tremendously helpful. But, you know, like an online discussion group, for instance, right, if you type something into chat and, you know, it's, you know, or no one's really participating or it's minimal, like you said, you can you can throw in some ideas and what have you and give it lift service. But, uh, you know, it, need, it needs to truly be interactive. So if it's okay. you, need, you need to curate that list of people who want to be super engaged um, versus just kind of like a, a general discussion group. So it should be targeted. OK, that makes sense. Some fun facts for you, uh, you know, obviously uh, learning and development is a huge portion of, you know, uh, um, a business goals, right? Companies and entities want to train their workforce. Um, and again, by you, they use a lot of these passive methods and like Deloitte did a survey and they said like 90% of the respondents said that their organizations were redesigning their jobs, right? And in a tight labor market, will make it imperative for them to ensure that existing employees and learners are more engaged and can evolve with the company. So how do you do that, right? Well, a lot of our online you know, business training is more about policy and procedure, and it's a lot of really boring, dry information. And so very difficult to kind of ingrain that, uh, you know, that imperative uh, piece of it into your employee base if they're really not able to retain or get anything out of the training. No, I was going to say, I think we've all said on those sexual harassment trainings. I just did one a couple weeks ago, and it looked like it was from the 1980s or maybe the 1990s. And I can't tell you, I, of course, it's a very serious topic, but my eyes started glazing over because I'm just like, again, we're doing this again. Well, right. And if you tuned in, like, again, yeah. So it's super boring, and that's a problem. And then if you think about, you know, in our last episode, we talked about automation, right? And how automation will displace uh, workers and, you know, change the nature of how we work. And almost every employer out there, uh, you know, a major company has some kind of reskilling or upskilling need for their employees to, uh, you know, continue to be, you know, good at their jobs. And, and that's over just like the next three years. You know, and if you look at the learning and development market, right, so the global market for, you know, learning and development, and you might hear of, you know, like your company uses an LMS, which is a learning management system, which is kind of how they present and track, uh, you know, employee learning. Just the learning and development market, right, globally is $446 billion in, in, in just this year alone, right? And so that's how, how much the need is to, to educate, you know, not only our workers, but, you know, uh, everyone in, in, uh, in, in between. And so how do we take these more participatory, these more active styles of learning and turn them into a an effective learning tool, right? Into an effective new, you know, new style LMS for learning and development. So my question is, you know, what are we going to do in the future? Are we going to, is it going to be the universities? Because to your point, it's not easy to spin up a discussion group uh, uh, that's engaged um, or, you know, not everybody's going to have the ability to teach somebody else. Although we, we love to cross train people and there are opportunities to do that. And then it's just that, that, uh, you know, on the job training. So let's tackle a couple of these kind of concepts to start with. One is the concept of just-in-time training, or you'll hear it as JIT training, right? So just-in-time training is 
just what it sounds like. I need to know about a subject or a product or what have you that I didn't really understand before so that I can either educate somebody else about that or perhaps I need to use it in a sales presentation. And so training and these kind of micro doses of, of, of education to help you learn a specific topic and, and very, very specific. So uh, about just enough what you need to know so that you can do whatever it is that you need to do in your job. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more platforms and a lot more training focus on individual tasks, right? So something that you can learn, like when, you know, if you've ever gone on YouTube and looked out how to make pizza dough because you're sitting there with your hands covered in flour and you totally <laughs> you know, whiffed it, that's micro learning, right? Like that's taking a task, learning how to do it, and then turning around and doing that task. Those are the things that are going to elevate learning, right? Those are the things that are going to make people successful in the future. It's not testing. It's not homework. It's it's the ability to uh, demonstrate your skill set. And so just-in-time learning is one of those things that I, you know, um, I think companies are starting to embrace. They certainly have done it in, in technology companies. Uh, you know, where I've worked in the past, it's a necessity to have this, this just-in-time training because things develop so fast that it's almost impossible to, uh, uh, you know, sit on your heels uh, very long uh, before you need to, you know, crack the book open and start learning about whatever new products and services are coming down the pike. Sure. I mean, even in our industry, if you get a certification, you still have to maintain educational training units to ma maintain that certification. So what you're describing to me is really feeding into that, but I'm very impatient. So just-in-time learning is something that speaks to my heart. I'll get an, an, a manual or I'll actually go on YouTube and I'll scroll forward to where I exact, exactly need to be or I'll control F to find what I need to learn or where I need to be because let's be real, I'm not going to read 20 pages or I'm not going to this is so bad. I'm not going to watch that 10 minute video. Show me the two minutes I need to learn so I can go do my task. I know it sounds awful, but let's be real. I think a lot of us already do that. Right. And and you bring up a really good point, which is it's boring. I mean, uh, if, if our, we have our sh attention spans have been shortened to, you know, we have to a gnat. I mean, like I can't focus on anything. Uh, it's goldfish, Eric. It's goldfish. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I couldn't even focus on on the goldfish. Uh, so what do you do with a, a short attention span? You, you've got usually dry subject matter. And so this just-in-time training is one way, right? Learning exactly what you need to know just in time for you to do the job. And then that leads into another trend, which is the learner experience, right? So how do you make these things fun? Uh, how do you make them engaging so that people want to learn so that they can, you know, pay attention and grab more of their focus so that uh, they can, you know, integrate these skill sets faster? So one of the thing educators of the future are going to have to really work on is, especially in the online learning instance, is the UI, right? How are you going to present the material? How are you going to, you know, make this learning exercise fun and engaging? And so the content of that is still king, but how you deliver that content and the, and the experience of the learner is going to be critical. So it's no longer just professor such and such, and he's an expert and he's going to tell you all about, you know, uh, particle physics. No, the way in which the material is delivered is almost equally important these days. 
Yeah, and just for those of you listening, UI stands for user interface. So it has to be user-friendly and adaptable to the people you're teaching is basically what Eric is saying. Right. And a lot of this uh, this stuff, again, if you look at the just-in-time and the user experience, and, and, and you said it already, you just want to do your job. You just want to get your work done, right? So um, all of these trends are kind of leading so that you can kind of like drive by and learn um, or get the proficiency you need so you can just keep on trucking, right? So there is no break. There is no more, in my mind, I, I have a hard time believing that the university system as it exists today is going to stand the test of time. Now, people argue with me about this all the time. And I know that there are schools out there that are on the cutting edge and they're doing great things, but they're serving, they're usually in STEM, right? In some form of engineering or computer science or some easily translatable skill. But when you're talking about educating you know, the masses either in their jobs post-school or, you know, even training children, you know, as we deal with COVID, I don't know if, I, I, I honestly don't believe that the, the traditional model is going to work. And I think that some of these newer, as these uh, these new technologies come out and as these new ways to learn come out, I think they will be effective. And th- that in some cases, and I won't say in all cases, uh, they'll start replacing traditional education formats. I'm one of those people that disagree with you on that to some extent. And I think I, it's because schools, and if we just talk about schools first, they provide more services to students than just education. These kids are learning how to share and play and regulate themselves because they're interacting with other people or other children their age. So I think that's a big benefit of schools. So you may not go full online, at least in my opinion. You might see a hybrid model because you still want these kids to interact with each other. That's one oh, point. I, yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, the socialization aspect of school is super important to, I think, development uh, of children. And and like I said, it's like training wheels for adulting, right? You need to have, you know, be able to to integrate. So you're, I think, you know, if we look at it, it won't be 100% online. And I do believe that, some hybrid model will emerge, but I, I don't think that the grade system will stand the test of time. I don't think the Oh, I think that system. is going away. They've shown that homework doesn't provide any additional value. So when these kids are having hours of homework after school, these poor kids are just being brutalized and tortured, in my opinion. I agree with you on that. Right. So let's talk about one of the ways then that you're going to start seeing learning, and it's already here and in certain aspects uh, being integrated um, into kind of a lot of company, uh, you know, a lot of companies are adapting it. And I think schools and traditional education are going to start doing a lot of the same thing. And that is, it's called gamification, right? So the gamification of, of learning and active learnings. Uh, what is gamification? Well, if you grew up, uh, you know, in the 80s, like I did, um, and had an Atari or a Nintendo, uh, you know, it's video games, right? And as the, you know, the millennials and uh, the, the gen, you know, gen Zers and everybody else, they've, they've never not had, uh, you know, video games and, and games in their, in their life. And so gamification is, you know, the collecting of, you know, badges for doing certain activities. It's basically fun with high engagement and it gives like a healthy amount of competition by, by just changing your, your behavior. So they use things like points, uh, earning of badges for uh, completing a skill, leaderboards, right? So you can see 
how you measure up against somebody else in a kind of a, a, a fun way, right? We're not you know, saying, you know, oh, if you don't make it into the top 10, Bob, you're going to lose your job. But these are ways to, you know, get people more engaged and they're task-based. So let's think of it like a Boy Scouts badge, right? I got my, my badge for, you know, Microsoft Office. And, because, and you went through the training and you went through the, the puzzles and the tests and things and you, you earn this badge. And then that badge you get to wear on like your, your social media profile, um, you know, even at work, your internal social media that says, hey, you know, look at Bob. Bob just completed his Office 365 badge. You know, this is the third badge Bob has earned. Bob's at the top of the leaderboard. He has 20 points. And those points are usually good for some kind of, you know, small gift or, you know, some kind of recognition or what have you. And they've been very successful with this format in that it does drive, you know, engagement. And that engagement is the critical portion of any training, right? It's keeping somebody's focus and, and helping them attain those skills. And so when you can kind of take pride in the fact that you did it and you get some kind of recognition or some kind of uh, reward for that, um, it keeps you going, right? It keeps you wanting to go to the next task and the next task after that. They've also done studies, and I agree with you on this. They've, they've also done studies where people who play video games have better hand-eye coordination and they're quicker on their feet. So what that means is they're they can solve problems quicker if they need to adapt to a situation. They're they're quick to pivot and, and think outside of the box. And so I think video games are going to increase in adoption and prevalence in our society. And ironically enough, if we just want to talk about video games, they're originally marketed to boys in the 80s, I think. And my generation and my segment, so women in their 20s to 30s plus, are actually the largest single increase of video game adopters right now. So just think about that. This is going to continue to grow in education and just adoption in our society. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, other formats that are as engaging, uh, you know, like gamification is, is one way. And I think it's a very powerful way. Um, but more forms of active learning and more, you know, it provides, uh, you know, an entire industry to kind of rethink how and what education can be. So while I may argue that I think traditional education is going away or not necessary, um, that doesn't mean that the human element of education isn't uh, important and that we can't incorporate it in some other way. And I think, you know, I always find that it's better to learn together uh, than learn in a vacuum, right? So the more ability we have and the more, it, but on a broader scale, right? There's people that do that already, right? You and I are lifelong learners. We, you know, go to classes, we go to conferences, we, you know, we do things because we're interested. So we have this kind of love of academics, um, not only to make us, you know, more informed, but because frankly, we enjoy it. And but not, you know, that doesn't translate across uh, the, the entire spectrum. And so I think, you know, the ability to bring some of the things that we've learned, especially through tech and, and, uh, and our own research and whatever, and we see that being brought forward to companies and to, and, and to new ways of, of teaching our kids that are, uh, you know, create that interactivity and that stickiness, then, you know, I think we're going to be... Uh, it's going to be really interesting, right? I think we'll just see the nature of school change. It won't go away. It'll just change. If you don't learn, I mean, to me, what's the point of being adult or just living, right? We're here to grow and change, and change as adults. But what you've just said kind of makes me excited 
because I think a lot of us feel that we're very divided as society and as people. And so while automation and technology and education will change what our lives look like, I think it'll also bring us together as a community and as people, because we're going to be able to relate to each other in new, in new ways. Yeah, no, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Eric, we learned a lot today, and I know this is a, a topic that you're incredibly passionate about. So if you're listening to us and you want more advice or input, or you, you'd like to know a little bit more about education and what that looks like in the future, give us a shout out, reach out to us at info at breadcrumbtheory.com. Subscribe, like, uh, check us out on our website. As always, thanks for tuning in. And until next time, thanks, everyone. <laughs>